Hello, this is More Raw, and I'm your host, Tom Latcham. Well, More Raw allows us to interview people who might not quite work for the main podcast, but they are definitely 100% worth talking to. Today's guest is a perfect example of that. He's not an artist, he's not a promoter, he's not a producer, but he is one of the country's top sports stars, and he's a massive fan of 90s rave music. It is multi-gold uh, gold medal winning Paralympic athlete, David Weir. Hello, David, how are you doing? I'm good, mate. You? Yeah, all right, thanks. Am I calling you the Weirwolf or Mr. Weirwolf or Mr. Weir? <laughs> I get called loads of things these days, mate. Um, yeah, you know, when I'm walking down the street, I get, you know, there's the wolf, there's the wolf, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, you can call me what you want, mate, to be honest. Uh, well, what yeah, is important mate. is that you used to be a raver in the 90s, and I found this out on an interview that you did with Colin Murray on Five Live, and I thought, you know what? He'd be perfect for this show. Let's get him on and talk to him all about uh, his time as a raver back in the 90s. So why don't you tell us about your your, your love for the 90s rave uh, rave scene and how it all came about and, uh, and, 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 and that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, it, kind of, it goes right back really to the, to the mid-80s, I think. And um, my brothers were like big into house music. So they were the ones that went to... No, I'd be for when it happened, and they were the first pioneers. I actually googled where the estate I grew grew up on, and obviously my name's all over it because of what I've done. But at the bottom, it says were the pioneers of the first acid rave um, ravers. So it was, you know, we wow. it's been yeah. So our estate sort of like not the pioneers, but they were the the makers, and they they sort of went places and new clubs and, and and they were a face in the scene. So it was just like it, I, I was, it was bred into me as an early age, you know, so I listened to house music and stuff like that. But obviously I went and followed the, the different um, genres like hardcore, drum and bass and stuff like that um, at an early age because I just loved that electronic sound music. Always have um, never liked chart music unless there was something in there that was more electronic e so you know sort of like pet shop boys or something like that something different uh, i sort of sort of like that that sound that you know man-made sound if that makes sense and and then i just you know started buying listening to pirate radio all the time that was a big thing for me what um, the stations were you listening to do you know what i can't i'm trying i was trying to think back then i can't remember the names I'm, I'm, it was probably Flex was probably one of them. Um, I'm trying to think of the really old school one, but I can't remember it the other day. I was so young, but um, yeah, I was listening to a lot of you know local pirate radio stations and trying sticking aerials in my you know coat hangers in in my um, in my uh, stereo just to get a big, big, bigger signal and stuff like that. My mum used to go, "Man, where's all your coat hangers?" It was stuck in the back of the stereo, you know. Um, and even when I like started to drive and stuff, I knew all the pirate radio stations. And uh, I, I, you know, even when I got in my friends' cars, they were like, "Have you heard about this station?" And I'd know it straight away. So it was just like that. And then I used to go down to Wax City in, in West Croydon and, and buy mixtapes, and you know, and, and just spend most of my money on mixtapes. I had the best mixtape collection that you could possibly think of, and I wish I kept them all because they're probably worth money now. But I'm not sure you know, they are, mate. They're all on YouTube uh, now, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it was just that collection thing. I just wished I collected it because it was just the, the amount of mixtape packs I had were, were incredible. But obviously when mates go, let me borrow it out, I record it. Let me, you never get them back here. Or they'd be worn <laughs> I, out because... I don't know that anyone's got a 12-pack of tapes where there are still 12 <laughs> tapes in them. <laughs> No, it'd be all the dodgy ones that all the shit ones that no one likes. Yeah, so it was. It started from that, and then it was just a craze of. And you know, funny enough, my mate sent me today. Didn't know I was doing this interview. He sent a picture of. um, It must. It was on Facebook or someone. Some random uh, saying this was a nineties house. Uh, on in in a, in a kid's bedroom was flyers all over the walls, and that's what I did because my mum like there was two boys sharing a room, but she wanted to put flower wallpaper up, and I was like, I don't want this. Do you know, what I mean? if my mates come in, they're going to take the piss out of me. So 
I um, covered it in, in, in flyers, you know, every flyer you could think of. Obviously, when I used to go down to the record shop just to get my uh, mixtapes, I used to piles of, you know, of flyers and then think, oh, I want to go to that rave or go to this rave. So, yeah, that's, that's the start of it. What was it, do you think, about electronic music, but also notably rave music and, and that sort of the early 90s sound that drew you in? What was it that really appealed to you? Um, I just think because it was a craze as well. I'm, I'm probably a, a follower. I like to follow the craze a little bit, you know, the, what's in at the moment. I, I like that. Uh, not so much as I got older, but when I was younger, yeah, I started and then... I just got hooked on that sort of sound and, you know, and I loved big, powerful stereos. I, I just loved it loud. And I, as long as it was a good stereo and good sound system, I always used to just love that feeling. I, I don't know if it was freedom or because I was disabled and I just felt, I don't know, it was just, it was just, it was just that feeling of the, the music scene and how big it was growing. I liked how it just expanded and exploded, you know what I mean? And, and that, that's what I liked. And, you know, when I went to my first raves and stuff, like hardcore raves and stuff, I, I, I used to love, you know, just being by the speakers all night. Even though it was damaging my ears, I didn't really care, to be honest. And the lights and the lasers and... <laughs> I just loved that sort of scene and I've always loved it and I, I can't remember when I didn't. You know, even now I talk about going raving. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that a bit later. But did you find with your disability that raves were a place that were accepting? I mean, we all know the sort of the phrase peace, love, unity, respect. Did you really feel that as someone who maybe might not have felt it outside of raves? Yeah, 100%. Um, you didn't feel different in a row. You might look different, and obviously, and you're going through the crowd, and you know people moving out of the way for you. But you had a lot of respect from the ravers, you know. And and back, there was no no race issue, no you know. I don't know if it's because everyone was off their head, but you know, it was just it, it just felt love. Everyone just loved the music, and that was it. They were there for the music and nothing else. You know, it didn't matter where you was from, uh, what estate you was from. Everyone loved each other, and and, that, and that's what I loved. And just you know, it was a bit of freedom, I think. And can you recall your first rave? Uh, which one was it? How old were you? Where was it? Yeah, um, and do you know what? I tried to look the other day my my first rave ticket, uh, and I kept it. But because I've moved house a few times, I've, I've I know I've got it somewhere because I've seen it. But I put it in an old um, game box, like see through packet and it was a, a world dance ticket and coach ticket um and i remember my brother my eldest brother's 18 years older than me and he said to me what do you want for christmas i went i want a world dance ticket he went ain't that a rave i was like yeah <laughs> he said does mum know i went yeah of course she does and he didn't believe me so he asked her and um she said yeah you can go as long as he's going with these certain people i was only i think it was about 14 or 15 which was weird, but yeah, which which was weird because on the estate, my mum was so strict at what time to be in. And I was thinking, I said to her, you know, it's all night. She went, yeah, but I'm trusting you. And I was thinking, I ain't going to ask her again. I'm not going to ask her again. So I said to my brother, and what can I can I get that ticket? So give me the money. I obviously I had to go and get the ticket and come back. Obviously, I sent someone in who was older than me to get the ticket, um, and then. I showed him the ticket and I, I kept that one ticket. And that was my first experience of uh, of raving, I think, at uh, Wembley Arena. Wow. And do, do, can you recall the feelings of going there, you know, the, the journey there, the excitement you were feeling, getting in the, in the, in the, uh, in the queue to get in and then yeah. going in there and hearing that massive booming sound yeah. system? Yeah, I remember panicking like before, like, you know, I don't condone... Um, condone, um, you know, getting fake ID and stuff. But back in the day, you had to. It was legit. So I, I was panicking, like, trying to get some sort of ID to get me in because I looked so young. Like, I didn't look my age. I didn't even look bloody 14. Do you know what I mean? I was thinking, there's no way I'm getting in, but I'm taking the risk, you know? So I remember going up. I don't know if we... I didn't get the coach in the end. Um, because there wasn't many people getting on it. It was like one person. I thought, you know what? I can't be bothered with the hassle of me trying to climb up the stairs to get in the coach. 
and only had one person with me. So I think we got the train up there in the end with a lot of people, and it was a lot easier for me. Um, and I remember seeing the queue. You know, the queues were just endless, you know, going backwards and forwards. And I said, oh, I wonder if I can sort of go around the sides. Because I, I, I sort of like pretended to go around the side and I, I had about five or six mates with me and I remember seeing a doorman down. It must have been an exit for someone to come out. And I just said, look, do you mind if I go in this way because of, I don't know if there's stairs that way. He said, you know what, you can't queue up in that, mate. Go on, go straight in. I was like, all right, quick, quick, come on, lads, come on, lads. And we, we, we just went straight in and that and that was it. And then as soon as you walk through them doors, you've got the cloak rooms, you've got, you know, people grabbing your tickets and you're still thinking, am I going to get in, am I getting in? Then you walk in and it's just that that mass of people, you know, straight away. And it must have been only, I don't know, 8 o'clock at night and everyone's just started, you know, raving already. You know, they'd been there a couple of hours already because it was like a long 12-hour rave, I think. Um, and yeah, the sound system, just everything, the atmosphere, and yeah, I just loved it. To be honest, uh, did any sets? Cool. Did any sets stand out in particular that night? I can't remember that day who was playing. Actually, um, I just was in awe with everything else. I love like the, I love DJs. I think they're all you know very talented people, um, even from an early age, and even now with all the new technology. But back then, I think. You know, they were world-class and I just love that sort of watching them and being that close to them to see how uh, how they do it and stuff like that. And that's where I got the bug for, you know, trying to mix as well. So, yeah, just early days of, of, of raving. How accessible were raves? Because I've often seen uh, uh, seen people in wheelchairs at raves and um, and so they obviously are, it's possible to get in, but how accessible generally were they? Do you know what? The raves were better than clubs because most of them were all on one level. You know, they were in, in different arenas. And, you know, if you, you know, at the sanctuary in Milton Keynes, it was the only room that was upstairs was the, the banging bloody techno or gabble or whatever it was at the time. And, and I didn't really not, like that. Not was, a fan. <laughs> no, no, it was a bit. I like house techno, but I, I, not that sort of German, yeah. really yeah. hard sort of stomping techno. And I, that was the only room that I really didn't attempt to go in because I didn't really like the music. But yeah, do you know what? It was for me. I was a little bit lucky because my wheelchair was quite small, so I could get into normal toilets anyway. You know, so back then there wasn't. You know, buildings didn't have to have disabled toilets, so I just, I just made do, mate. I was just happy to be there. And obviously, friends, if they say I'm going to the toilet, I go right. I'm coming with you. So it would just be easier than, than me trying to fight through and do it myself. So, uh, or I'd say to one of the biggest lads that was with us, I'd say, right, I need the toilet, and he'd be like, right, move out the way, like pushing people, just not not nicely, but just gently yeah. pushing people out the way. Looking so, after you, looking after me, and, and all I would do going for a crowd, and I remember now, I would just look to the ground because I didn't want to run people's feet over. That was in my head, like, I don't want to rub people's feet over because it's, it's not a nice feeling. So I'd make sure and just touch their legs to their feet. So I'd make a path myself. Um, so, yeah, I remember always looking down and, and squeezing through the crowd like that in, in my wheelchair. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I just loved them days back then. Did you, uh, did, did the wheelchair, I mean, the wheelchair helped get you in age 14. Uh, did, it, <laughs> <laughs> did it help uh, generally in the future? You know, did, did you did you ever have to queue? <laughs> um, not really, no, no. It, it, at some places I did, like if the doorman looked quite moody, you'd... You didn't really want to go up and ask, but then sometimes when you did go and ask, they would put a smile on the face. Yeah, come on, mate, don't worry. Do you know, what I mean, we'll help you up. And we're just like, oh, and that's really nice, you know. Some some dormer were like, you have to get your mates to help. Like, that's all right, I've got loads. All right, and but some of them were were you know really really friendly. And, and, and like years gone by, when I went to Ibiza for the first time, um, the I went, I stayed opposite space before it was. Um, a big club now and um I remember just going over and thinking oh, I wonder if I could get in you know it's always on my mind can I get in is it acceptable and I remember seeing the head doorman he was from he must have been German or something I just said oh, I'll come in here later do you reckon he went don't worry you can get around everywhere <laughs> so that there's you had some places like that or you had some places that were just you know crazy but usually back in the day with the, the warehouse ravers they were all on one level so I was all right and who were your raving crew? Uh, most of the lads from my my estate. 
Um, we all had long hair, um, you know, middle party. Um, I tried to grow it for years and then I managed to do it in the end. Um, but yeah, going to like Hell Scout and that probably had like a, a short bob down to here, like, <laughs> like a twat, do you know what I mean? But um, it was the fashion, so yeah, uh, I, uh, I, yeah, so it was just the crew from the estate. We used to meet other people from different areas, like from, from Carl Shorten and Sutton and stuff like that, and, and bump into each other and stuff. And that's how, um, yeah, that's how we used to run. Uh, if it was a long journey, like to Milton Keynes or something, uh, obviously we, we had to find people that could that were driving. So we had a few friends that were driving. We used to, you know, go up go up that way as well. And what raves did you go to, and, and which ones were your real favourites? Uh, I was uh, actually messaged my mate this morning and said that I'm doing a um, a little uh, Zoom call about raving. He went, "Well, he said you've got some stories, then, boy." Uh, so he, I, I couldn't remember the rave we went to. I, I, I got two tickets and um, I was meant to go with someone else, and they pulled out. So I just turned up at his door and said, "Right, should we go to this?" And it was United Dance was one of them. Um, I think was it Funk or Fusion or something like that or Raw um, you know uh, One Nation um, yeah so it was like uh, telepathy you know all the yeah so it was all sort of How to Scale Dreamscape you know it was all the, all the ones but yeah I, I had to message him this morning to say what rave did we go to there and that was United Dance so that was that was a good one I used to like that one and what was it about United Dance that you used to really like? I think it was just a mixture of DJs back then because they played hardcore and, and drum and bass. And then I started to sway towards jungle and drum and bass in the end because I preferred bigger bass lines, a bit slower. I felt like hardcore was going a bit too fast. It was getting quicker and quicker and not enough bass for me. I, I like a good bass line and stuff like that. So... Um, and then I start. That's when I started to go to the more drum bass um, stuff, like One Nation and uh, uh, Raw and places like that, telepathy and, and some of them a bit moody. Not at the beginning, I didn't find. I found they were really good, and then it started to get a bit moody, yeah, a um, bit aggressive and stuff like that. But still, didn't have no problems though. Still, really enjoyed it. Um, I you know, I just liked the music, mate. I didn't really care where it was. Um, I never felt unsafe in, in any venue that I went to. Um, and yeah, I, yeah, they you could see that with any music genres. It started to get a little bit darker and darker. And um, yeah, the drum and bass scene did start to do that in the end. Did you ever go to any raves that you just really hated and had a shit time at? Um, yeah, I was trying to think of that the other day. Um, trying to think the name of it. What's it? There was one in Hammersmith, but I can't remember the name it was. It was in a warehouse near Hammersmith, but that wasn't that wasn't very good. Um, it was just like the sound system, the lights, and it was a, a bit cheap. You know what I mean? I can't remember the name of it. I was trying to think of it the other day. Um, but yeah, there was there was one. I I really liked the atmosphere. That had to be a big, big thing for me. Um, obviously, the sound systems, the DJs. I'd always look for the DJs like Kenny Ken, Randall, Ray Keith. Um, and before that, it'd be Dougal vibes, you know what I mean? So um, so it was just make sure I, I and find the best lineup. And then I, that's how I chose my, my raving after that. You say, uh, we talked a bit earlier about how inclusive everybody was and, and what a welcoming family the rave community was. Did you ever have any issues at all with your disability at raves? Anytime there was ever any, I don't know, because the thing is, when you when you go to a rave, they are unpredictable because there's loads of people taking loads of drugs. So, uh, and, and there are some dodgy people there. We, we know that about raves. Did you ever have any bad times where your disability became an issue at all or, or was it, anyone was weird about it? Uh, yeah, you, obviously you get you used to get stared at a bit, but I think a lot of people were freaking out because they couldn't work out what I was. <laughs> you know, if they're off their head on on these or something, it it'd be like they'd be staring. But I don't think they were staring on purpose. It was just like 
what the fuck is that? Do you know what I mean? Because I might have been turning into a transformer or something, but, you know, I, I think it was freaking them out a little bit. But, um, no, not really. You, you, you probably get, you know, you might get some moody people that like you might have hit their feet, but you'd apologise and, and, and stuff like that. And then they'd be all right and they'd tap you on the back and then you just move on, really. I, I wouldn't. Yeah, my mates wouldn't. Yeah, I wonder whether um, so when you're when people are at a rave and they're on drugs, um, it makes them dance. Of course, that's uh, mm. one of the effects of uh, of ecstasy that's made made it such a, a a drug so associated with the rave scene. And I wonder whether there would have been some people who were like wondering what it would be like. I'm not saying that you were on you were on drugs. I'm going to mm. ask you that. So I'm going to ask you that shortly. Uh, but whether they were sort of thinking. Well, I know that when I take ecstasy, it makes my legs go dancing around, and I wonder what it's like for someone who's on drugs in in a wheelchair. So I do wonder. There's that sort of inquisitiveness, I suppose, about it. Yeah, you'd, you'd, judgmental. You'd have, yeah, but you'd have like weird conversation with people that are off their head, and they would ask me if I was on drugs, and obviously I wasn't because I just enjoyed the the, the music, but. Um, they would ask if you wanted some, and I'd be like, "No, I was scared of it anyway." Back then, I was, I was, I was, you know, I was a bit of a, I don't know. No, I just didn't. I didn't like the way I saw a few people and stuff like that um, when I was younger, and it and it put me off. So I, I just enjoyed, I enjoyed the the sound and and everything else of of it than than the drugs. But yeah, I used to see a lot of people. Yeah, in a bad way. Incredibly yeah. annoying. Everyone was incredibly annoying. Like, well, what is it about this rave where everyone just chats alt- so much shit? <laughs> but yeah, it didn't bother me because I knew they were just, it was the drugs doing that. So I, you know, I just embraced it and stuff like that. But it was, you know, most of the time it was my mates that were driving me mad because they were off to it. But. <laughs> where are you from mate how are you doing what are you on yeah. the, the standard fucking conversation yeah. the where are you from uh, yeah <laughs> um, and your first uh, Olympics was 1996 in Atlanta were you raving at that point yeah before that um, I went to a, a few raves but after as well I sort of yeah it was. I think I went I went to Atlanta in 96 pretty much come back and fell out of love of the sport and wanted to do what my mates were doing and that was going out all the time and raving and you know doing doing everything that they were doing so I, I sort of decided to endure the, the the raving scene I remember going to my last world dance actually um, I think it was at Lid Lid Airport and I just sort of got bored of that scene I wanted, I was going in, I was sort of listening to garage music then as well and I sort of went into that sort of sound and I think, because I remember looking around and thinking, oh, there's, there's young kids here and I, I think I was about 17 myself, do you know what I mean? So I was just like, I was 17, 18, I think I was 18 and then I just thought I'm not really, I'm not, I'm not enjoying this music and it was getting really moody and violent as well and it was just like, I, I, I'm not, I don't want to be here to be scared. I want to be here to be loving the sound and, and enjoying myself. And I just didn't, I started to not enjoy it. And I think I went to the sanctuary for the last time. And uh, I think the drum and bass room was upstairs. So I was in, in that most of the time. And I think the last tune that I really, really enjoyed was Warhead, you know, um, which I still listen to now in the car when I want to get pumped up, you know what I mean, for a training session. So, uh, yeah, and that, I, I, it just, yeah, I mean, I, was, I went into the, 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 the garage scene after that. What year was that? Well, I started to listen. I've always loved house house music from, from day one, obviously, my brothers and stuff like that. And I loved that sort of sound anyway. Um, like I said, I was a follower and followed Sue, and, and, and that's what I did. I followed Garage after that. And, but I always wanted to get into the mixing side. So I started to try and mix drum and bass, but I didn't have the patience for it. Um, I could mix it now, but not very good. I don't think. Well, I'm all right, but um, I prefer sort of that that house sort of sound and garage sound. And um, so, yeah, that's what I started to do. I started to practice uh, mixing garage, and and actually, I went out more when I was in the garage scene than than, than the rave scene um, because I was older, uh, could afford it a bit more. 
Um, and, you know, it was more of a clubbing scene than a warehouse sort of rave, rave scene then. And um, I think that was about 97, 98 onwards to about 2000 that I re- really came the, uh, the garage scene. And would you, would you hype yourself up for, would you like, so I, I'm not comparing my sporting prowess to yours, by the way, but I play hockey and uh, before I play hockey, I'll often warm up and just put on a, you know, an old school set and uh, and just enjoy that. Would you, would you use uh, rave music for your training? Yeah. Um, I've got a list of old school drum and bass um, in my, in my playlist on, on iTunes. Um I've got the Ray, the new Ray Keefe album. I really like that, to be honest. Um, it's not so heavy. It's nice to listen to. It's got a bit of old school bits in it as well, which I, I really like. Um, yeah, on the way to training, sometimes I whack up the drum and bass or the jungle and, and listen and reminisce. I reminisce a lot. Me and my mate reminisce a lot. We talk about the old times, about the estate and you know, having mad parties on there and stuff like that and trying to DJ and you couldn't even DJ to save your life, but you've just given it a go. And, um, so, yeah, I, I sort of reminisce when I, I, I listen to the old school rave stuff. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Raw. There's plenty more where that came from. Uh, but now it's time to ask for your help. Raw is a hobby. It's not a very well-paid hobby. In fact, it's frankly a bit of a money pit. Uh, we've put lots and lots of our own cash into doing this, uh, but we could use your help to keep it going because we don't have endless pockets, sadly. Uh, any donation, big or small, that you can give, we appreciate. It is a tough time for anyone, but anything you can give will go towards keeping this project on the road. If you want to help out, you can head to gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast that address again is gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast and get donating there we appreciate anything you can give absolutely we do uh, also if you want to head over to our socials why don't you add us on facebook why don't you add us on twitter why don't you add us on instagram and of course we are on youtube you just have to search for raw the 90s rave podcast on all those different places when you were playing your stuff, say for instance, when you were at the Olympics in 1996, did any of your teammates were like, "What, what you got on, mate? What you got on?" And did you play it to them? And did they, did they think, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah, a lot of them were like, "What is that you're listening to?" Was like, well, it's the in thing, isn't it? And I, I think it, it's a cultural thing, and I, I think you know back then as well, a lot of estates were brought up on rave music you know, the illegal rave scene or, you know, new genres of music coming out. It all started on estates. And I think because I was born on an estate and bred and, and it was just in me to to listen to it. And, you know, and I don't think, I can't say normal people because everyone's normal, but someone that's not from the state doesn't really appreciate what, what that kind of music. And because we didn't have social media or the internet, them sort of people didn't get to listen to that because it wasn't in the charts. Do you know what I mean? So when you talk to people about that, they don't, they didn't understand it because they've never heard it before. Because if there was, it's not like now you can type in drum and bass and bosh, it comes up everywhere or hardcore and old videos of how the scale come up. But back then, like people were like, what's this? What's that? So it was quite a small knit family that listened to that and followed it around the country, wasn't it? And now obviously it's gone global and stuff like that because of the internet. But back then it was really small and people just didn't understand. I was like, what is that rubbish? What are you listening to that for? I was like, oh, I like it. What do you listen to? Oh, I listen to so-and-so or this or rock. I said, well, that's rubbish to me. Do you know what I mean? So it's, you know, it's just a preference of, of what, what you want to listen to. Have you met anyone else in sport who's into the 90s rave scene? I think that once upon a time, Emil Heskey went to, or, or, or um, Baseman put on a rave for Emil Heskey's birthday. So, I don't, did like, well, right. maybe, I don't know. I mean, he did do, I don't know whether Emil Heskey was at the event or was into it, but uh, he did put on a, well, weird, no, Heskey, it'd be weird Heskey. to put on a birthday for Emil Heskey if he, uh, if he wasn't into it, wouldn't it? yeah. <laughs> But he, I think Heskey mixes, doesn't he? I think he gets on the decks and stuff like that. Because when he used to do celebrations, he used to do that, didn't yeah, he? And yeah, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. So maybe, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Anyone yeah, else I'm, that you know? Uh, no, I'm trying to think, really. Um, I think... Uh, uh, what's this? The uh, triple... Uh, no, long jumper that won... Uh, Greg Rutherford. 
I know he sort of likes the sort of, um, yeah, when we was talking years ago, he liked a bit of the dubstep and stuff like that. So I think he was into sort of like sound and, uh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, to be, yeah. to be honest, to be honest though, it's not, that conducive is it being into rave music and being or, or even and going to raves particularly if you do partake in that side of things that we've just mentioned with uh you know with your schedule which is incredibly punishing of training yeah. and competing so i suppose it's 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 not necessarily music many athletes would probably ever even think about because it's just the not a world they put themselves in no no and i think i was probably the only athlete that was doing it back then <laughs> well, after Atlanta, I sort of retired. I, I sort of retired myself at seventeen and done all the raving scene and whatever, and caned it for for four years. And then, obviously, it was when I watched Sydney on TV that I was like, "What the fuck am I doing?" You know what I mean? I've got no job, I've got no career. I'm like wasting it just trying to, you know, go to to raves and 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 trying to be like everyone else. And I thought. Well, and, and and that was a wake-up call for me, to be honest. Um, still loved the music, still loved, you know, everything about it, but I need, I needed to uh, make a career of myself, and, and that's what I did. Well, I think that. it was probably the right choice. Uh, I think if you I look think, back... Yeah, just about, yeah, <laughs> just about. It's done all right for you. I think it's probably done better for you. Uh, I mean, you look like you live in quite a nice house. I suspect <laughs> if you'd have just gone down the rave scene, you might not do. So I think it was probably was was the right uh, move. Uh, do you my, still... My, 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 my dream job would have been a DJ, to be honest. That was my, like, dream of dreams, you know, just being a world-class uh, DJ. Yeah. And still now, it's my little hobby that I do. And I'd love to, you know, I've played out a few times, but not massive, massive clubs and stuff like that. I've obviously done, back in the day when I was, like, mixing garage and I used to do my own little parties on the, on the estate and stuff, and they used to rock and stuff like that, but... That you know, I still got my, I've got the decks upstairs set up, and uh, I still mix and, and stuff like. That. I've got my own sound club, but I don't. I have it as private because I still, yeah, I like my mixes, but I don't know if people are lying to me if they're good or not. So, do you want to do, do a nineties rave mix for us? Uh, yeah, I'd have yeah to why get, not? I'd, Go I'd have it. to get. I'd have to get the tunes though. <laughs> um, yeah, I could do a jungle drum and bass. I reckon. Yeah. Do it, man. Get it. Look, why don't you give it a go? And if it's utterly shit, we won't put it out. How does that sound? <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> and uh, if it is utterly shit, you've got to let me say, David. I'm, I've got to say, I'm, I'm, I'm not that's sure. That's right. I'd rather people be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, do you, you? You still do a bit of DJing? Do you ever go to any parties anymore at all? Um, yeah, I sort of put my decks away and bring them out, put away, put them. You know. Um, I haven't done... I did my own event. Uh, when was it? It must have been two years after 2012, so about 2014. Uh, one of my mates was a um, promoter, uh, very low-key, but he started to get massive, and his, his uh, club nights were called I Love Mandy. <laughs> who's, who's Mandy? His mum. Oh yeah, what a lovely! Isn't that nice that he did a raid? A lovely and he, name, and he named it after his mum. That is very sweet. Yeah, <laughs> his name's Tommy Mac. Um, well, hello, Matt. Hello, Mandy Mac. If you're listening, <laughs> yeah, Mandy Mac. Um, so he was started doing very good house nights in Croydon and started to get massive and stuff like that. And um, then the police started to close it down because there was nothing illegal. He was doing it all properly in clubs and stuff like that and promoting it. But because it said that he was promoting drugs, which he said he wasn't, it's his mum's name, um, he had to close it down. So I did a party with him. We just did a, I think we called it a gold something. Um, we did all the flyers. We did it in Sutton. And that was probably a couple of years ago where we got a few DJs in. Um, uh, we got MC Charlie White in, yeah. So we got him in um, uh, because he's good friends with him, and we just did a you know a sort of house night, and he was just like introducing the DJs and stuff like that. That went all right, but I just didn't have enough time. You know that that's what I'd love to do. I'd love to you know do a bit more of that, more the DJ side than the, the, the promoter side. 
Um, did you think that that might be uh, something that you could do post racing career? Because I mean, you're, you're 41 now. I don't know how long you can feasibly continue in that in that yeah. field. Yeah, well, it's always been a dream. My dream was to own my own sort of venue and and you know, like have a not a posh sort of venue, but something that had a really good sound system, good music, different nights with different music. You know, to cater for all the all the genres, you know. Um, but with the <laughs> pandemic and whatever it's going on now, is it a wise move to have any sort of entertainment night, you know, a nightclub or bar or whatever, because it seems like it's going to struggle anyway. So that was that was my dream um, when I retired to do something like that. Obviously, I still do a lot of stuff with the, the racing, which will be other stuff that I've got in line but for me as a hobby and a passion that I've always loved as much as racing that I would love to definitely do something when, when I retire and stuff like that well I mean you, you're probably not going to be retiring for a, a little while anyway and Covid by that point might be something you know might, it might well, it's going to look very very different by that point um, uh, you went to Skelter quite a few times there's been talk of yeah. a Skelter comeback would you go to a Skelter comeback if it did come back yeah yeah I definitely would I'd give it a go and see what it's like. Might be really old. I don't know though. Would it would it be like some of the guys my age that used to go raving, would they go or would it be loads of youngsters going? You don't know, do you? It's a well, yeah. so they, they they did a they did a resurrection, um, which pulled in about uh, eight to ten thousand people last year. Uh, I really regret really? it. Yeah, I was going to go and I didn't in the end, and I really regret it. And people that did who I knew who went were like, it was fantastic. You know, hearing some of that music on a massive system again, but the systems as well have improved, haven't they? Of course, in oh, in, massively in, yeah. in the twenty years or twenty twenty five years since you, you know you were going and whatever, and the nineties rave scene was at its peak, um, and it was eight thousand people. So you know, you just don't experience those moments anymore. So I, I think that people might go, you know, what I will go just for that one last hurrah of of yeah. you know if, people if, in, in an arena with an, an amazing venue uh, an amazing sound system that system yeah if, if like some of the lads were i grew up with that did that and and i said let's should we go to a to help a scout i know a lot of them would go yeah come on let's just do it once let's just go let's just go back and, and see what it's like and uh listen to the music Hopefully they were playing the sort of, sort of tunes that we were playing back then as well. Um, if you get the old school DJs up, I suppose they would. But um, it would just be an experience to to do it, even if you weren't there all night and just you know done you know a good few hours in there. Would, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think I would go to first. I wouldn't put the jacket on though, so I don't think it would fit. <laughs> You might have to go get a new one, I think. <laughs> well, I mean, I'd, I'd hope that given you were 14 when you probably first owned those jackets and you're now a, a multi-gold winning uh, yeah. you might have bulked out a bit. <laughs> yeah, I think so, a little bit. The last six months I've bulked out even more, I think, as well. So. Is that because of lockdown? Uh, no, I was all right up until I did the marathon in October, but now because everything slowed down, I sort of... Oh no! I'll eat that, or have a bit of that, or have a bit of that, and I'll be all right. But yeah, how is your career going at the moment? Um, do you know what? I'm I'm mentally probably in the best place that I've ever been, um, and I'm enjoying enjoying the sport now. Before, I think it was a chore. It started to get a chore, and it started to get. I was just doing it for other people and pleasing other people and not myself. And I had a mental breakdown in, in after 2016 and um, just with, with racing and, um, you know, my, my, I split up with my kid's mom and it was just a hard uh, a few years. And um, so I, I thought racing was obviously loads of shit happened in, in Rio and, um, I got accused of, of throwing a race for the relay team and you know when you get accused of things like that and saying that you don't deserve to wear a GB vest you know it really you know I, I was in a slippery uh, downward slope you know I was struggling badly and, and, and mentally so I, even though I come back from that and won the London Marathon 2017 I didn't win it for myself I don't know how I won it you know and I, I, I struggled but um, it took me a number of years to, you know, get back to the to the to the best that I can be. 
but mentally that that was the focus and and I thought training was the one or racing was the one that I was sick of um so I had a break from that started training again and realized I was feeling a bit more mentally better each day I was training so then I realized that I had to go back to training and that was my main focus I wasn't focused about the racing I was focused about myself and then I started to realize that I'd start to enjoy myself um and doing the things that I want to do do you know what I mean um and have no one saying you can't do that you've got to do this or you've got to you know you've got agents you've got your coach you've got your 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 partner your kids you I wasn't doing I felt like I was not my coach because she was always back to whatever I wanted to do or you know, sometimes the agent would put pressure on you to do stuff. And it was just little things that were all coming together. And my head just, just went, I can't, I can't cope with this anymore. Um, and then I just started doing things that I wanted to do. So, um, and I, I'm really enjoying training and, and life again. I, you know, I met my new partner about a year and a half ago now. She lives in Hastings. And since I've met her, um, it's been mentally, I've been in the best place ever. So, but I thank her, Victoria. She's been been truly amazing, and and she lets me do what I want to do, which is which is great. If I want to, you know, she I said, oh, do you mind if I get my decks out of the garage and put them up in the room? She was like, yeah, if you want to. You know, it was no like, oh well, it might make the room look ugly or this, this and that. And she's like, no, go on, go and do what you want to do. Well, she sounds like a keeper. Oh mate, 100%. <laughs> Marriage material, definitely. Oh, good stuff. And and how have you been impacted by COVID and, and, and lockdown and how are you coping with that? I mean, you, you say you're in a good place mentally, but it is an incredibly difficult time for, for everybody. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I obviously I'm, I'm involved with a lot of mental health um, uh, people on social media and stuff like that. And I can see a lot of people can, can struggle with it. But for me, I, I didn't mind it. I'm not the most sociable guy anyway, so <laughs> I I didn't mind being as long as I could go out and train um, and and see my kids and 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 that that I was all right. You know, I could go and see my kids, pick them up, bring them down here, and and, and see them. Then I I didn't mind lockdown, but I know a lot of people would struggle if they wasn't seeing people and stuff like that and talking to people face to face and. And that's why it's great to have Zoom or, you know, everything. You know, you can. I know it's not the same as seeing someone, but seeing someone's face to 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 you know lighten up your day or make you laugh or something like that. At least it's not down the phone where you can't see them. So, I just feel, um, yeah, I feel I feel for the people that that, that struggle. But lockdown, I, I actually trained better because I had nothing else to do. <laughs> so obviously. Work dried up with with commitments, with um, Q and A's and stuff like that. That's where I make most of my my, my living and stuff like that. Because you know, a lot of people think that I'm I'm rolling it and I'm multi millionaire, but the Paralympic side we do not get as much as the able bodied athletics or um, as sport people. So you know, Q and A's and stuff like that is my uh, bread and butter really. So that was a bit bit dry. So I just carried on training and um, I got really fit over the summer and felt really strong in this London Marathon. So, yeah, it hasn't done me bad, but I do talk to a lot of people and I've, I'm like with my academy as well in Kingston, you know, I've got a lot of youngsters, so I'm always told them that, you know, I'm on the end of the phone if you don't want to talk to your parents and, you know, we're always here, we've got Zoom, you know, if you want a private chat and, and things like that. So I I really am a big believer in, in mental health. Um because I, I didn't realise that I've struggled with it all my life, um, which I didn't know that until I spoke to a counsellor. And she said, you know, tell me your story. And when I started talking about my disability and how I felt when I was younger, um, I used to be very angry and upset with with my disability and asking questions why with just you know I remember just crying every night until I was probably about 16 17 like well, why am I like this you know I'm on an estate you know I'm different to everyone else I want to play bloody football I want to ride a bike why have you chose me you know what I mean so it was just so when you know that's just why I try and talk to the young kids because I know they're going through the same thing 
you know, why me? Why am I like this? Right? And and it, it drains the fuck out of you, to be honest, until you're, you know, you accept that you're you're going to be disabled for the rest of your life, you know. Um, and so have you, have you now come to accept that? And and yeah, and, and yeah, that's I'm why sort you're of in such a good place now, I suppose. Yeah, no, I've sort of accepted my disability when I was younger, but I, I sort of still was angry with why am I like this? But I think as you get older and society changes, you know, a lot more people were seeing disabled people on telly, uh, seeing them out on the streets. Um, there was more access to get on bloody buses and trains and uh, buildings and so you see a lot more disabled people and young kids now my kids at my age uh, my my, uh, my kids at their age they they accept disabled people because they see it on tv do you know what i mean so when they're out they don't stare they don't ask questions they don't you know sometimes you hear an odd kid when you walk in mommy why is he in the wheelchair yeah, I don't mind that. I'd rather the mum go because he's probably had an accident or ask him. And then you get them up, some of the parents go, shh, shh. But that, I think that's rude. Just, just ask, do you know what I mean? Just, just ask. So, you know, and I think that society's just changed and accepted different, um, different, different people. And uh, it's got easier as you've got older. And back then in the 90s and uh, 80s and stuff, it was, it was held to be, to be different. Um, do you know what I mean? It, uh, I had this discussion with, you know, uh, my, my black friend Tarek. You know, when we was growing up, he was different because he was black, and I was in, I was in a in a wheelchair, and like when everything was going off with Black Lives Matters and stuff like that, I was talking to him, and I said, I know how you feel, and he said, Yeah, I know, and because I do know how he feels because I've, I've got disability. Obviously, I don't know because of the colour of my skin, but. I just understood it all, and, and um, yeah, so it's 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 getting better as uh, you know the young kids are getting more opportunities to do things, but um, you know they're still getting abused at schools. With you know they're going to mainstream schools now, dis uh, disabled kids, and you know a lot of the guys at my academy they just they struggle because they're different. You know they can't do the stuff that they you know peer and stuff like that. They left in the corner, or they. They try and do something else. They, they want to be included. It's inclusion and their struggles. So when they come to the academy, they feel included. And that's what the academy is about. And that's why I started it. Nice. Um, and you've said you've keep, kept yourself very fit. Of course, uh, there's another lockdown. You've got plenty more time to uh, to continue doing that. Um, you've got the Tokyo Paralympics and Olympics uh, next summer, if they happen. Are you expecting it will happen and, and you're going to be there? Yeah, I, I spoke to a few Japanese athletes while we were doing the London Marathon and a Japanese coach, he said it definitely will go ahead. Um, I think we'll be all tested before we go, like we did in the marathon. Um, yeah, and I think it'll be in a safe bubble because most of the guys will be in the village and then go to the venue and then come back. And even if we're tested every other day, I, I can't see it not, not happening, to be honest, because there's techniques and testing that can be I think now they found you can do it you'll find the results in 15 minutes so you know if, uh, yeah I'll definitely go ahead and and yes I will be there um I am doing just the marathon um and I'm actually going early this time I'm going to live and stay with some of the Japanese athletes to get to know the culture and 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 get used to the heat because it's going to be really hot so um, yeah, I'm going to live and, and be a Japanese person for for a while, okay. which I'm excited about actually. And how long can you go on for being as you are, forty one? Um, that probably be my last Olympics, Paralympics. Sorry, um, and I will still do the marathon circuit after because I'm still quite competitive and still competing with the best guys in the world. And um, you know, the last. Um, four or five marathons I've done I've been in the top three so you know uh, at my age that's pretty good I'm, I'm you know as soon as I feel like I'm dropping away I'm I'm not with the, the top guys then I know it's the, I've always said to myself if you slip back in that second pack or the the, the other guys then I'm nothing against them guys but uh, that'll be the time that I'll say right that's that's it now I'll call it a day 
well, that might be in two or three or four years. And uh, by that point, COVID might have gone away and it's uh, about time to launch your club. I, I think it's a, a perfect Maybe. timeline. Yeah, yeah, it could be. be a, yeah, it'd be a good good thing to do. Um, and do you know what? I've been looking around because I live in Hastings now. So um, there's not much down here. But you know, lots of people move in there who are trendy and into probably you know some techno, for instance. They might you know. Yeah, but there's there's a you know you've got you've got Hastings Pier, and in the summer they they converted it so there was like um, uh, beer garden sort of tables outside, like loads of them, and then there was a DJ at the top on this like where the stairs go up and there's a top layer and and I was thinking God that'd be a good summer thing. Uncle I think Doug's, there was a garage there. Uh, Uncle Doug's uh, put an event there, uh, a sort of down rave. Yeah, pretty sure it was at Hastings Pier. Um, I went to a rave there in the nineties, Hastings Pier. The old Hastings Pier, yeah. What was it? Was it, was it was it was it adrenaline? It might have been. It was a ra- really random night where I wasn't going out and then someone said, look, I'm going to Hastings, I've got a spare ticket, do you want to come? And that wasn't even my sort of group of friends that I hung about with, just someone I knew. And he went, come with me. I was like, all right, well, nothing else to do. And I remember going there uh, on Hastings Pier, yeah. I went, well, I went to Hastings Pier recently with my three-year-old daughter. I suspect it was rather a different experience. Yeah, I've been on there <laughs> with my kids as well, and it's totally different, yeah. But yeah, look, there's, there's, look I, over there, the, right? That was where I used to where we, we yeah. up by the speakers over there, and that's uh, where I was in the chill out room having a fag, you I know, and like yeah. shut up, Dad, you boring old sod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the, the, yeah, I'd like to do something down here somewhere because um, it's quite a a cool place. There's some cool kids walking around and stuff like that, and yeah. you know they'll be into all sorts of underground music, so. Um, yeah, it's something that I've, I've I've been looking into, and hopefully I can do in the future. Well, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure and joy talking to you. Thank you very much for your time oh, and for telling us all about your '90s rave memories and, uh, and <laughs> moments and all that sort of stuff. And now, what you've got to do is you've got to get up in that loft and get those decks out and try and do us a '90s rave mix. And if it's, I will if it's, do, mate. If, if it's any good, we'll do it, right? Yeah, I'll get down and start downloading some old school tunes <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, yeah, and I'll give it a go and I'll let Top you know. Man. Top man, you're a star. Listen, thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate it. No worries, mate. Cheers, buddy. That is uh, David Weir there, who is uh, one of the greatest Paralympians of all time and British indeed. Uh, and talking about all of his uh, 90s rave moments, went to all the big raves. Fantastic guest here on More Raw. Peace. Well, we hope you've enjoyed the latest episode of Raw. We've certainly enjoyed making it and bringing it to you. And we want to make more. Uh, but to do so, we are going to need some of your help, I'm afraid. Uh, we are just normal people with normal jobs. This is a hobby and not a very well-paid one at that. In fact, it's not paid at all. Uh, we've invested quite a bit of our money to keep this uh, keep this show going. Uh, but we could really use some of your help uh, as well. Any donation, big or small, we know it's a difficult time for you all out there. It's a difficult time for all of us. Uh, but any donation you can give whatever sign will help us go towards improving our kit help us get on the road pay expenses to go and interview some of your 90s rave favourites uh, and also just uh, keep bringing you some more banging 90s rave content if you do feel able to help that'd be great if you don't we do understand uh, but if you can head over to gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast that address I'll repeat just one more time gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast uh, and if you can't give any money, you want to join our community, why don't you head over to Twitter, why don't you head over to Instagram, why don't you head over to YouTube, and why don't you head over to Facebook, search Raw The 90s Raid Podcast, like us, subscribe to us, do all that, get involved.